Welcome to the Gutology Podcast. My name's Ollie Gallant. I'm the podcast host. But the Gutology Project is a collaboration of researchers and scientists and functional practitioners and lecturers who all are obsessed with the knowledge of gut health. And we have one shared mission, and that is to make nutritional therapy accessible to everyone. That's what Gutology is all about. And it started with a podcast and then moved to YouTube. And now we're moving into the next phase where right now at gutology.co.uk, you can chat to a fully qualified gutologist for free. You can type in uh, questions about supplementation or psoriasis or type 2 diabetes or IBS. And one of our gutologists will continue that conversation with you via the chat function. If you're joining us for the first time, then you might want to go back and listen to the whole of season one, which really started in the fundamentals of gut health and things that you can do. You can also download our free seven-week health plan online at gutology.co.uk. And if you're coming back and joining us for season two, thank you. It is good to have you on board. Let's go. In today's episode, then, uh, diet and the immune system. Season two, obviously, has this kind of sub-theme around the immune system. There's a lot going along on in the world at the moment where I think there was a certain sector of society that are quite conscious about what they ate, and that has sort of expanded rapidly. We've seen that in the amount and types of people and demographic that started downloading the podcast. Basically, they were living the good life, and now everyone's panicking slightly. So welcome if you are just joining uh, the podcast. Uh, my name is Ollie. Uh, this is Julia. Julia runs a very successful functional medicine clinic and um, has been the host of this podcast since day one, really, although we find ourselves in very different times now. We're in separate studios. We're separated like a, like a zoo, really, like through like in a pen. Yeah, it's if bit, you like. bizarre being far away. <laughs> um, but um, let's talk about today about how um, diet affects the immune system. And and on the face of it, this might feel like a very obvious topic um, because I think we all have our own uh, ideas about what we eat and the impact it has on your body. And when you say to people, yes, does your diet affect you? Most people say, yes, it does. But to truly understand that, I think you really need to go a little bit deeper into the science and this idea of, um, you know, I think if you simplify it completely, this idea of, you know, your body being a car and you you put fuel in it. Well, the idea, we're obsessed with putting very clean fuel. We drive to a petrol station, we pay a ludicrous amount of money and we don't want it to be contaminated. We wouldn't just chuck a can of Coke in at the end of the, filling up the car. But when it comes to our bodies, I think all of us to a certain extent would aren't overly neurotic about what we, we put inside it. But we're going to learn a little bit today about, you know, what are the consequences? And, and and on a positive note, what are some of the things that you can do? It might not be as bad as you think if you are overly neurotic about what you think. So let's firstly talk about the physical impacts of the food that we put inside our body and what happens when that food goes in and, and some of the effects of it. Yeah, I like the analogy there, of like the car, and that's a really common one. And I think if only our bodies were to like cough and sputter if we put the wrong fuel in, you know, you can't get many miles down the road if you put diesel in a petrol car, can you? You know, if you do, if you get it, if you get it wrong, there's like that sort of 
almost instant, the engine will not work. And we don't get that in humans. Do you think in, in some ways that is a problem? You know, this idea that our bodies are so unbelievably resilient in some ways yeah. that um, sadly it can often be too late when somebody gets a physical symptom that something is wrong. I mean, take a very, very hard example of that, that idea that you could smoke for 40 years until you had a problem. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it, it, you know, humans are very different to cars. And I think that resilience is obviously of huge benefit for us because we don't want to just get one thing wrong one day and then that is the end. Um, You know, however, I think it's really striking how little we are aware of actually what impact the foods has on a day to day if that is the constant habit. So, for example, you know, people that I'm seeing in the clinic, they'll come to me and we'll, we might quite radically change their diet sometimes. But bear in mind, the people that I see, their immune systems are quite broken. So we have a lot of work to do. So we might, you know, make some radical change to their diet and, you know, completely turn on the head what they're eating. And sometimes the first week or two can feel quite rubbish. But then say six weeks, a couple of months in, they say, I never knew I could feel like this. I actually thought I was all right. But then they then after making all those changes, they're like, I never knew my body could feel like this. I didn't know what I thought I had energy, but this is energy. You know, I thought my sleep was good, but now I'm waking up feeling like I can actually be ready for the day rather than have to grab that coffee. You know, so people don't even realise when they feel bad sometimes. Obviously, a lot of people do. And there's a lot of people with, you know, huge symptoms, then their body's screaming out at them that they're doing something wrong. But it's just so fascinating to me still that people don't know when their bodies aren't in their optimal condition. And I think that's the thing with diet. So, you know, the foods that you're putting in have a major impact on your immune system. But I think because of the availability of foods and the fact that, you know, everybody eats the, you know, everybody eats food there's so many different habits and so many things that are quite common. So let's take like the kind of Western civilized world. There's like in scientific uh, literature, they term it the standard Western diet. Um, And it tends to be one that actually isn't good for the immune system. It promotes inflammation. It causes inflammation at a really, really low level that actually depletes and drains the immune system on the longer term. And that's what's really concerning. So if you were to have, so say, let me just illustrate what like the kind of standard diet is, you know, we're thinking like more like low in fiber, quite low in colors, quite low in variety, actually, in diversity, pretty high in like your starchy carbohydrates, like breads and pastas, quite high in meats as well. Meat is so frighteningly cheap at the moment you know you can get so much you can get steak and chicken and all this you know from the supermarket really really cheap that people can eat meat every day because they can afford to and then of course you've got the processed foods that are like pre-made in factories and a lot of the ingredients are not even recognizable things the additives the chemicals the preservatives and all of this is quite heavy in the western diet so you know when you look at it like that And a lot of people will identify with that and think, yeah, that's pretty much what I eat. But, you know, that's got a healthy Weight Watchers label on that particular ready meal. So that must be okay, surely. Well, no, processed food is processed food. There's some vegan foods, a huge, enormous range of vegan foods available now. But 
that's still processed food just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's healthy. Same with gluten-free foods. You go in the supermarket and think, oh, this is the healthy aisle because we've got, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free, free from soya. This must be amazing. It's not. They take all of those things out for people with allergies and they put in a whole load of chemicals and preservatives. And one of the really common things that I come up against is people say, well, if it was that bad, they wouldn't they wouldn't sell it. They wouldn't be able to. But this is food industry. This is it. We have to make a choice that's good for our bodies. So I think a really important thing to to say is like it's your it's your own habits most of the time that make the difference. So it's what you're it's what you're preparing at home really in your normal environment. If you go out to restaurants and you have the odd takeaway or you know go on holiday and have the you know, sort of overindulge a bit, that's not. That doesn't make a difference to you. It's the stuff that you do routinely that is the that is the issue, really. So um, the issue with the immune system is that these foods contain um, they they contain this sort of more like the chemical aspect of food that does directly impact the immune system in a negative way. It causes strain on your liver because your toxic load goes up. So you're eating all of these things and your body has to process it in some way. So it doesn't just think, oh, like I'm going to eliminate all of that because it's not useful in a nutrient way to the body. A lot of that toxicity will get absorbed into your system, even though your body doesn't need it. And then it burdens you. Also, when you've had a lot of food that's been pre-processed, it doesn't carry its own digestive enzymes with it. So like when you're eating plant foods and particularly raw foods, they contain a lot of natural enzymes with them. So you're eating the enzymes as well as the food. And and just to simplify that, these enzymes are the things that literally aid the breakdown of the food you're eating. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're having food that's sort of like dead food that's been pre-made and it once was a plant, it once was a, a vegetable, but it's been you know, treated to such high degrees of temperature and processing that there's just nothing left that's living in that, then it's it's sort of pointless, really. So, you know, I think there's convenience foods that are better than others. And I think a lot of people that I see that are too sick to prepare food, we have to be really creative in how we can actually help them get a better diet rather than just relying on something that they can quickly put in the microwave. In your clinic, you're dealing with the extreme end of, uh, you know, poor health where yeah. people are coming to you and they're suffering from, you know, major inflammatory conditions, diabetes, um, uh, chronic arthritis, yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah. But for somebody that's for, the, for a person that you would call healthy, like an average person, what are what are some of the main things in the diet that cause chronic inflammation? We hear a lot about sugar. What what's your take on sugar? Because surely not all sugars can be bad. Yeah, I mean it's you know sugars. So refined sugar is pretty pro-inflammatory. Um, it upsets the gut microbiome quite quickly, and um, then that can have a secondary impact because it affects things like the short-chain fats and the chemicals that all of the gut microbes make. They will change significantly when there's a lot of a lot of a sort of a heavy load of sugar in the diet, and it just sets you up for an inflammatory state. And you know that's not even you know really going into what it does to your blood sugar levels and your insulin release from your pancreas, and then setting up a different kind of metabolic type of inflammation as well. So you know I would say things like unrefined sugars. If you think of like say a slice of toast, that's got a lot of sugar in it. 
mashed potato portion that has also got a lot of sugar in it so you know there's a lot of things will break down carbohydrates are made of just you know hundreds of thousands of glucose molecules joined together so it will eventually break down through the digestive process to sugars so um, when people think well I don't have any sugar at all because I don't add three spoons of sugar to my tea actually there's a lot of sugar in the diet that's quite hidden you know like yogurts for example you think oh that's a really healthy dessert or pudding actually a lot of them are quite loaded with sugar and flavorings so the yogurt is not necessarily a bad food but what's loaded into it is um, and I think the whilst we're on sugar we're another feature if you like of the western diet is people are quite taste buds are conditioned to actually more sugar than we than we should have so like the appreciation of the natural sweetness of um, certain types of fruits is completely lost um, because, you know, I mean, when I have like an apple crumble, my husband will always laugh because I just won't put sugar in it. But, like the apples are really sweet. You know, you make, you know, you boil up apples with a bit of cinnamon. And if you want it really sweet, I would add like a few drops of vanilla extract and that will do me. But I think that's because I've had quite a clean diet for quite a long time because of my chronic health problems when I was younger. Um, so it's that conditioning that we expect of really intense sweetness um, to satisfy taste buds. And that's a bit of a problem as well. So there's a lot of behavioral stuff that we're all doing wrong. But, you know, you've just got to look at statistics of things like cancer occurrence in your lifetime and um, things like that, that, you know, the chronic health problems that we have is reflective of our broken immune systems. So if something's broken, you've got to put a lot of work in to fix it. And I think the major issue is people don't realise their immune system is broken until some major event happens in their life. And that's the problem. So I think probably the most important message really is not that we're all broken, but the sort of the standardised Western lifestyle around eating and the behaviour around eating, the food choices and the things that we're conditioned to think are healthy we've kind of got it all wrong there. And I think we've got quite a lot of work to do to nurture our immune system from the roots, right from the ground upwards, rather than just try and support what we have. We actually need to sort of turn it on its head. We'll get into later in the podcast, like we always do in part two, of like the things that you can be doing, like starting points to getting your diet, you know, into a place where it's going to strengthen your immune system rather than potentially damage it. Um, it's not just the food that you put into your body necessarily. It's also um, how you eat and when you eat that also has a massive impact on the way that, which is a strange thing that took me a while to kind of get my head around it. Like you could be having a relatively healthy diet, but maybe not optimizing the way that you digest that diet because of the times at which you eat. So let's talk a little bit um, first about um how you eat. We've touched on that in many, many episodes, this idea of making sure that you're calm before you eat and you're thinking about your food. You're not just sat in front of the TV, but also um, that you're preparing to eat. So things like, you know, we've spoken about taking digestive bitters, eating something bitter, um, not drinking lots of fluid Yeah, definitely. when you yeah. eat. Um, and I think that's a big one for people. I think people finish dinner and gulp down a massive glass of water, not necessarily realising that you kind of need an acidic concentrate to mm. healthily digest and maybe then drink some fluids an hour or so after you eat. All the people that claim they can't swallow without the pint of water, which is really concerning. 
you know, people that just are so conditioned to having a drink with their meal that they feel like they need to wash it down. And they say, you know, it's happened hundreds of times in clinic where, you know, people say, but I can't, I need at least at least a half a pint of something because otherwise I can't swallow my food. I'm like, okay, let's just talk about that. Why on earth can you not swallow with, you You know, you've, you've got saliva for that. We're making litres of that. So, you know, I think um, these habits come from actually a problem that, you know, if there is a problem swallowing, the genuine problem one, then why are we just covering that up by just drinking gallons of fluid? Let's actually figure out what the problem is in the first place. And then also, um, you know, I think one of... Th- getting into sort of simple things it's it's what physically happens inside your body when you're uh not even eating too much but just eating too often Mm, yeah so i mean i would say like spacing between meals is one of the one of the quickest ways and easiest ways to make a significant change without that much different you know that much difference in your routine so say if you just feel overwhelmed with the you know options of changing your diet and think oh I I don't know how to do that really okay well step one then just eat what you're eating no matter what it is but leave at least four hours ideally five in between every time you eat so just stop the snacking cut the snacks and try and have a really decent period of time overnight where you're completely fasted as well so no late night eating and just that itself you know I've had people eating a true junk filled diet who feel better, not better as in perfect, but, you know, they can feel a significant change if they are just having that spacing between the food. And what it's doing, it's allowing the gut to recover. So the gut in itself, it's it's an impressive organ, the gut, but it has so many jobs to do as well as digest food. So so much of our immune system lies within our, our, our gut. So when we have immune problems, we've always got to look at the gut and see like, well, what, you know, what's going on? But if you consider the gut, it's a real interface organ with the environment. It's, you know, we're putting, we're shoving everything down there, all kinds of foods and drinks. And the gut is the organ that decides whether or not that's okay. So if you're throwing loads of inflammatory foods at it, you're kind of setting off this alarm signal that your body and your immune system is like, okay, that's not right. I'm going to constantly try and fight that. And it's setting up that low level of inflammation that's just so chronic. But then when your immune system needs to actually respond to an infection or, you know, just detect cancer cells in the body and do its own housekeeping job. It's so busy dealing with this inflammatory diet that it just misses those jobs and that that's the real problem. So having that spacing in between what you're eating allows you to digest the food properly and completely, eliminate properly and completely, but also then do all of those housekeeping jobs that then nurture the microbiome so that it can give all the right signals to the immune system so that then the level of inflammation goes down. So it's such a knock-on effect to the systemic system um, that if it's constantly filled with snacks and, you know, this sort of eat little and often approach, it just doesn't allow for that correct signalling of the immune system. And what would fasting for for some people sounds like this scary idea. They imagine themselves in like a robe on a mountain, not having eaten for like nine <laughs> yeah. days. Um, what at what? How many hours between a meal would be considered like a helpful fast? Between a meal, yeah. So let's like say four is well, fine. Well, I suppose what I mean is to to start having like a positive effect on the body. The most obvious one is going to be the distance between your evening meal and your morning meal. Yeah. 
if yeah. you if you could stretch that slightly, what would be a useful kind of time frame? So I think twelve is an or is an absolute no brainer. Like it's so easy to get twelve hours. Um, so basically, if you say you eat your evening meal at say seven o'clock in the evening, or let's yeah. say for the sake of sake, eight o'clock. So yeah. a lot of people are busy and they yeah. work quite late. Yeah. Then you just basically need to go until what time the next day that would be beneficial? Minimum eight o'clock. Okay. So at the earliest eight o'clock. But then if you were to have, if I I would always work at both both ends of the day. So try and try if you can to pull the main meal forward. Um, to say six and then push the breakfast back to say eight, nine or even 10 o'clock. And, you know, just having that period of time, it's so, so good for blood sugar levels. And if you can get those sugars down and the insulin levels a little bit more regulated, that has a massive impact on your immunity. And you can make those changes quite quickly, you know, three months and you can completely reverse blood sugar issues. If... um. What about doing things like I, I think if one thing that I found really helpful having large spaces between meals and not snacking is a couple of crutches, um, tea, like just yeah. having yeah. like fruit or mint or whatever yeah. teas, ginger teas, yeah. whatever tastes good to you, mm. just something. Mm. I think sometimes we need something between meals. That's yeah. not going to break a fast no. or do anything. No, no. Um, we were talking a little bit about like xylitol chewing gum and stuff like mm. that. If some people just need like, you know, that kind of three o'clock mm. uh, barrier where you just need something, yeah. that can be quite helpful. First thing in the morning, does, what about drinking coffee? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. 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 As long as you're, as long as it doesn't, a coffee, I'm quite a fan of coffee, to be honest. I think it gets a bad press for, you know, the overuse of coffee is an issue. And I think you've got to be a bit careful if you have problems with your adrenal function. So if you get really kind of spiky after a cup of coffee and, you know, sort of have like get the shakes an hour and right, a half, two okay. hours afterwards, then it's probably not the best thing for you to do because it's 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 just impacting on your cortisol levels a bit too much there. But um, yeah, generally though, co- uh, coffee will not interrupt a fasting in that in that level. So it'd be fine to wake up, have a coffee at seven a.m., but then not eat your breakfast till ten, and you haven't broken it. Um, but just have black coffee. Don't put any dairy in it. If people could you do, could you put something like like a non dairy milk, like a small amount, is that going to break your fast? I honestly, I normally just recommend black coffee. Um, and most people are okay with that because they're quite delighted to be given something. (laughs) So keep it simple. In Julia's strict plan that they get sent on. (laughs) Um, Okay, so um, uh, we'll always do like a hack or or a simple thing that you can do. Um, So related to to diet, what's something that you do that you think is quite useful that other people might benefit from? I I think... Adding herbs and spices to food is a really, really useful thing to do because they are considered vegetables and they, they've got such power, huge power, like, you know, parsley, coriander, mint. Um, these things are really, really, really good for your body, for your liver, for detoxification, for your immune system. You know, they contain these phytochemicals. Phyto means plant, so the chemicals that are found naturally in plants. And they've got such good impacts um, on the chemistry of your body that, but people just think, well, a lot of people, and I'm just going by experience of who I see in clinic, because, you know, just think, oh, what's the point of adding a sprinkling of parsley? I haven't got time for that. But actually, if you do do that, you're in, you're adding a next, an extra vegetable to your meal. You know, you're adding flavour, but you're actually adding quite a lot of power as well. 
Um, other things that are quite useful to add are the sprouts, like broccoli sprouts, alfalfa sprouts, mung, mung bean sprouts. You know, they are so easy to sprout yourself, but pretty readily available now to buy in little bags. And if you just steam them for a minute or two and just throw them on top of stuff, they just have like a really nutty flavour. But the nutrient power inside those little tiny sprouts is huge. It's enormous. It's enough to kind of grow the full the full plant you see so it's really really useful to add stuff like that i think it's it's about finding i think i find this that i can watch a documentary or i can listen to a podcast and i feel so full of like oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna go and run a marathon or i'm gonna do you know and then it sort of wanes after a few days you get distracted by something else we've all got busy lives admittedly through lockdown maybe people have opened up a little bit more time but i think you're right it's finding those hacks along the way mm. that make things sustainable and I think sometimes you're better having a smaller ideology so rather than being like I'm going to fast for two whole days a week yeah. it's like okay I'm every single day going to put a 12-hour break between my supper and my breakfast yeah. one thing we do at home is um uh I find it much easier just generally around juggling work to eat two substantial meals a day and have a shake at that sort of 10 11 a.m mark in the morning and we free we buy um fresh turmeric and ginger and broccoli sprouts we're too lazy to sprout but we we buy them all in and 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 lit for for dirt cheap like it's not expensive but we'll buy bulk that will last at least probably a month at least maybe a month and a half chop them all up with the skin on and freeze them. And then that morning shake, I just grab a handful of turmeric, ginger, broccoli sprouts. or And it's almost like my easy way of getting them into the diet without actually having to think about it too much. Yeah, yeah, that's a really wonderful habit. And I think it's trying to set one thing, as you say, like just pick something and do that for a week or two, then pick something else and then add into it. And that's the way to make change. Not a, not a complete overhaul, throw everything out of your cupboards and start again that day because you set yourself up for a bit of a fail there. Um, having a huge variety of stuff is so important. That's probably one of the biggest failings of the Western diet is variety. So I would just say forget five a day like five a day is so insufficient for what we're dealing with you know we have to move with the times we're quite um you know our society is quite unwell in a kind of chronic level you know not thriving not living on on optimal um and five a day just doesn't do it it does not so i would be minimum 10 a day but loads of color aim for five colors a day um always make your plate look amazing and you know if the, there's the freezer is like the best trick in the world just you know I mean you know I'm busy we're busy we've got a family and you know it's difficult to always find that time to to freshly prepare everything but you know on a Sunday morning after breakfast we'll quite often just get a whole load of vegetables and just chop them up stick them in the freezer a bit like you do with the ginger and turmeric and if you get if you if you buy a lot of different varieties of vegetables, but then freeze them, or even some of them bought frozen are fine because they're fro you know quite often um, you know depending on where you're getting your vegetables from, frozen is even healthier than fresh because fresh is not fresh if you yeah. buy it from the supermarket. So veg boxes I would always go for, but you know there's cost implications of getting really top quality organic food. But whatever you get, variety is key. 
and then just chopping it into smaller portions, keeping it in the freezer and then having a little bit of something. So actually it's better to have just like a teaspoon or two of something, but have five or six different types than is to have, you know, an enormous plate of broccoli. It's like, yeah, broccoli is great. It's power. It's amazing. But there's also a lot of other vegetables that have a lot of different properties. And with plant foods, they've all got very slightly different properties. So, And they all support each other as well. So you need the combination. Um, so talking about uh, what you can do about your diet then, I think those are some great hacks. But I think one of the, the main topics of contention and, and, and something that I'm really interested in is this, this. It's really hard now in 2020 to make informed decisions because like you were saying earlier you're so marketed at so you know the, there's not a huge amount of regulation in food and so it becomes really precarious doesn't it because like you're saying you walk down the health aisle in the supermarket and actually people are using this idea of healthy to sell to you but they're not necessarily actually having to adhere to the rules that say that the foods are healthy i mean cereal bars are a great example of that mm. like pack full of yeah, sugar yeah. molasses all that sort of dextrose all that sort of stuff um the 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 big uh sort of contentious point comes down to organic and i think a lot of people will think of organic as this like barrier in food either something that is seems maybe unnecessary unreachable mm. overly expensive so let's just let's just lay it out is it worth, before we get into clever ways that you can do it and how you can make it affordable, let's mm. remove the, the financials here. Yeah, sure. Um, what are the benefits of organic food and what is different about it? So there's there's two aspects of it. So, yes, I do support organic food. Um, there's the, the two considerations are the nutrient content. Um, tends to be better in organically grown produce than it does in standard grown. And the other side of it is what it doesn't contain. And that's actually really major, particularly for the immune system. So what I mean by that is the the sprays, the fertilizers, the pesticides, the chemicals that are used in the production that are just not allowed when you're um, growing organically. So it's the absence of those that is actually what what... That's what I pay for when I buy it. I don't want that. I'd rather pay to not have those chemicals added to the food. And when when we talk about um, like the stuff that's removed from it, so I think mm. it's simple to think about vegetables is like they're not sprayed in the same way. It's mm. much more difficult for for the for the, the reason the crops are more expensive is it's actually harder work. You can't grow on the same size, and actually you get a lot of loss because if you can just spray a field with a generic pesticide and keep 100% of the crop or mm. 90%, mm. organic farmers are either having to do it on a smaller scale mm. or they will lose a lot of crop as they're doing it because they don't have these sort of powerful pesticides. Mm. How does that translate into meat? You know, what are the difference between organic meat and non-organic meat? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of things like antibiotics are used and um, growth hormones are added and there's things that um, are, you know, the overuse and the routine use of antibiotic treatment is an issue, um, but also then what their feed is. So, you know, you're, you know, you're eating the meat of an animal and if it's been 
like fed appalling feed and you know not had the right conditions then it's not going to be a good quality and you're ingesting everything that's then been stored in their meat that then you're ingesting so I think particularly with dairy and meat um, I, I would always recommend having organic dairy and organic meat, but have it far, far less often and kind of kill two birds with one stone because people say, well, I can't afford organic because it costs this much. I'm like, well, how much meat are you eating? And that's the problem. So actually spend the same, but have it half the time. If, if, you, if the argument is, well, it's twice the price, brilliant. Have half the meat you're eating and you'll be healthier for having half the meat and you won't be spending any more. But what you do have is better quality. So things like omega-3 levels are better in like organically raised chickens. And um, there's, you know, diff there's different components of, of nutrient content of things that are better quality. But it's more, it's more the absence of stuff, really, the harmful chemicals that they add, the drugs that they use, the growth hormones and, and also what they're feeding the, the animals and the conditions they're kept in. And the ratio of white meat to red meat, would you keep the white meat ratio higher? Um, yeah, I would. I would. Um, I mean, red meat has got its benefits, you know, really rich in carnitine and um, yeah, it's a great protein source and iron as well. So there's a definite benefits of eating that. But, you know, once a month to eat a bit of beef covers all of those needs really readily and you don't need more. So there's definite nutritional benefits. But um, when it's quite it, it's quite acidic and quite pro-inflammatory if you and difficult to digest. So if you have a lot of it, then it, it does tend to not be so good. So quite often, I mean, the Mediterranean style diet is something that, a, you know, a lot of the healthy diets are based on. There's different interpretations of it, but it is definitely lower in red meat. It's not avoidance of red meat, but it's just lower. And, you know, going more towards like the um, lots more pulses, legumes, beans, lentils, all that sort of stuff. Some fish, definitely a bit of chicken or turkey and very occasionally a bit of red meat as well. So, you know, that's it's it's what I would consider a healthier but it is different for everybody. You know, it depends a lot on what your stomach acid levels are, whether or not you can even digest meat. You know, so many people that come to me and say, well, you know, last time I tried to eat a burger, it took me three days to digest it. And that's their interpretation of what it felt like. Just felt really heavy, really made them feel really, really groggy because their stomach acid levels were so low that they just couldn't even break down the meat fibers. So there's just a lot of issues around around me but quality is very important and we did a whole episode on um you know the stomach acid and what you can do about that in episode one of the podcast so you can go back and listen to that and there's some great articles online if you go to gutology.co.uk um the, the the final thing is this idea of um uh, not just the, the the literal food that you put inside your body but i think i think one area of caution that's really important is that you know, you can you can find yourself on an incredibly, uh, on the face of it, healthy inverted commas diet where you've got your broccoli sprouts and you eat red meat once a month and you buy everything organic. But I think a word of caution around the neuroses of food as well. I think it's a topic that is becoming more prevalent in society, you know, to the extremes of um, people being restrictive about the food they eat and that de developing into, you know, serious mental health conditions, you know, this idea around calorie counting, exercise, restrictive eating. And I do think you need to be really, really careful about that. And there's also a lot of evidence to show that, you know, um, how you feel about the food you eat is going to change the way that you absorb that food, which sounds bizarre. 
And I think that how does that translate into somebody that's listening to the podcast today and is going, okay, yeah, I do need to, I need to do more of that. I need to do less of this. And I, I think if there's one thing that, that I would love people to kind of take away from this is this idea of balance, you know, this idea of fantastic. If, if, if you can um, reduce the amount of sugar in your diet, you can increase the diversity of vegetables. Maybe you're dealing with specific things like having to raise your stomach acid levels up or you've got you want to do something around psoriasis or eczema and the certain things you need to put into your diet and certain things you need to take out for periods. But actually, overall in balance, how can you, yes, get lots of vegetables, eat good meat, but when you go out for dinner, you're not looking at the menu and you're feeling stressed about what you're going to eat and you enjoy whatever you're eating. I think it's how do you have that kind of 80 to 90% consistency and then enjoy that 10%? Yeah, I, I completely identify with all of that. You know, I, I'm so on, on it with all of the people that I take care of through the clinic because, you know, when, when I was in my early 20s and started discovering all of this stuff about food, I started to develop a really, really bad relationship with food. And I would, I, I would, I wasn't actually working in nutrition at the time. I was just researching and before I even studied properly. But I sort of found that over a few months I'd developed like, well, I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I can't eat that. I just had like an ever narrowing list of foods that I considered safe. And, you know, it's when you start to become aware of lots of different things with food issues. You know, I thought salmon was healthy, but no, it's got mercury in it and we can't have that. And, you know, beef that can give you BSE and, diff- you know, horrific. So I think those those like kind of major things, but you know, I, I definitely developed a real issue that I had to completely overcome, but then studied nutrition properly. And it's almost like, you know, it's like a knowledge can be a curse, can't it? So I've had to, I, I've totally overcome it now, but I think I've learned so much along the way of how to be, how to kind of approach it scientifically and academically. You know that that person needs to completely cut this out of their diet but understanding the psychology that in that that is involved in doing that and trying to balance that as well because the impact of the worry about it is often worse than eating the food itself so it's trying to get that balance so it you know it's so true and having been through all of that myself and I didn't really realize what was going on but looking back on reflection you know I was definitely on the road to some kind of eating proper eating issue um but it, it's 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 so diet has such an impact but your perception of what you're eating as you say is almost everything you know if you think it's bad for you and you think it's going to make you ill it probably will the power of the mind is incredible particularly when it's working negatively you know it is incredible and i I think that that's you know there'll be people that um that have been through your clinic that have 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 been on their own journeys where potentially they've had things like eczema or or diabetes or arthritis and they've worked really really hard to get a position and that can almost be the dangerous point where you then go well i've worked this hard i don't want to undo it all and this idea that you know one sweet pudding when you're out is not going to derail five years of eating healthily if you you know I, i think about that when i you know the magic what are the magic things in life like a beautiful glass of of red wine or uh, hanging out with my friends and, and, and having a pint of ale. It's not something that every single day is a great idea to have. But the 
the emotional well-being that those things bring to my life, I consider is incredibly valuable. And so how do you strike that balance? I think if you turn it on its head and look at it the other way, it can be really helpful. So like if you've had, if you if you have a terrible diet, it's full of processed food and just McDonald's and takeouts, but then you drink that one green smoothie, do you think that's going to change your life? No, of course not. So it's looking at it the other way. You know that you're going to have to put a lot of effort in to change it. And it's just the same. So, you know, if you get invited out for dinner and you've got this huge spread of things, that you think, oh, God, don't really eat that, don't really eat that, or that, that pudding tastes really sweet. Um, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Just enjoy it. Um, and it's what you do in the routine aspects of your life that makes the big difference. I think just very briefly and sort of as we sort of conclude and, and, and wrap today's episode up, um, uh, one thing that I wanted to mention earlier on, and, and we put all of the any articles or things that we talk about on the podcast, you can kind of go into more detail on the website at gutology.co.uk. But, you know, there was one really interesting NCBI study around um, – organic and non-organic food. And I wanted to mention that earlier that, you know, um, polyphenols, like we were talking about earlier, there were several studies around, um, obviously we've spoken about the benefits of polyphenols, but they actually were an analyzing the, 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 the polyphenic content in organic and non-organic food. And in certain vegetables, they're finding up to a 26% increase in the same vegetable between organic and non-organic. So I didn't want it just to be this idea that there's bad stuff in it and it's taken away. There's actually potentially can be more beneficial things like polyphenols in the organic food. And and I think that's something that's really encouraging to to say to people like, okay, how can you get a little bit more of that into your diet? It's not, it doesn't have to be a completely organic diet. But if you can start to infuse small amounts of that into your diet, it genuinely can be beneficial. Yeah, the, 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 there's a couple of things actually that just spring to mind on that. So there's a list, um, and it's a it's it's a list from the US, um, but it does it does generally apply um, to everywhere really, and it's by the Environmental Working Group, and they test. Um, loads of different fruits and vegetables and rate them in terms of the pesticide heaviness that they find. And there's um, a list called the Dirty Dozen, which is the top 12 that you just avoid. You must get organic of those because they're just so heavy on the pesticide use. Um, and the Clean 15. And I think it's updated annually, if not if not biannually. Um, but what they do that's particularly interesting is they actually test them after they've been prepared. So after they've been cleaned and washed. So people think, well, I'll just wash my pesticides off. You can't. They're actually within it. So that's really interesting. So you can, I mean, it's freely available online to get that list. And that, it just gives you a focus that if I'm if I'm buying this, I don't need to worry about it being organic. But if I'm buying that, I must, or I'll just avoid that. Um, and... Um, can't remember what the other thing was. Yeah, no, I think so. It's that, and then also, um, uh, how can you introduce simple things like just to recap on on what we were saying today? Mm-hmm. Fasting into yeah. your diet, and and making sure if you can um, have those gaps between food. One thing I find really helpful is just having larger meals. For me, yeah, I know for a lot of people it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the best thing, but mm-hmm. for me, having a large lunchtime meal means that I don't need to eat again at four. Or yeah. three or four, yeah, and then I go back, and then I'm really hung, and that's the big thing. Like, so then I'm hungry mm. by the time I get home at seven o'clock at night, 
I'm like salivating at the thought of food. And it's the... quite a nice feeling, isn't it? Yeah. When you think, oh, actually feeling really hungry and then I'm ready for a meal yeah. and you have a decent amount and then you rest again completely. Though, remember the other thing I was going to say now, it's that it's difficult to replicate um, the phytochemicals you get in your diet through taking a supplement. So a lot of people think, right, I'm just going to do a quick win and get that 50 pound supplement that's going to give me all I need from fruit and vegetables. It's actually very, very difficult to capture what you get when you're eating it than actually when you are. So different for vitamins and minerals, that's easy. You can cover that. But actually the phytochemicals and those plant pigments, everything, yeah. very difficult. Um, and and I think one really nice thing to sort of finish on today was um, you were saying that you were a big fan of that quote by Michael Pollan. Yeah. So who is Michael that. Pollan? Uh, it's like a, uh, I'm not really quite sure. So I can, it's, like, I think he wrote, he wrote loads of articles for New York Times, things like that. But, um, you know, he's a researcher. I don't really honestly know his background, but his quote completely resonates with me um, in that um, it's, what is the quote, Ollie? I've got it in front of me. Thank you. <laughs> eat food, not too much, yeah. mostly plants. Yeah. I love it. I think eat food, meaning like I interpret that as just eat actual food, not food industry made things and all of the stuff that comes with it. Just eat actual, real, whole foods that have been grown. Um, mostly plants um, is not saying you should be vegan or vegetarian. It's just saying that mostly plants should be your your food intake. So if you eat meat or fish or flexitarian, pescatarian, vegetarian, whatever you want, but no matter what, most of your plate should be plant foods. And I really like that approach. It sort of makes each of those diets really healthy and not too much. You know, we we have so many calories in our diet that are empty calories. There's no point to eating them for our bodies. We don't get the benefit. Um, people would argue it tastes nice, but we're eating far too many calories and calorie restriction has been associated with so many metabolic benefits. Um, even things like cognitive decline can benefit from um, restricting number of calories. So I just love that. It's a very general quote. I've just known about it for years, but it just it just feels like simplifying it and not overcomplicating it with really, really prescriptive stuff. You just stick to that. Just eat real food, most of it plants and not too much. Then it just feels like you can't go far wrong. More on that. All of the articles you want to discover, you know, stuff about these diets or a suitable diet are all online right now, gutology.co.uk. And you can follow us on Instagram and have that conversation as well at gutology underscore HQ. Right. How cool is this? I'm sat at home. Ow. The dog's chewing my feet. So now if I go to www.gutology, if I can spell, .co.uk, instantly a chat window will pop up saying chat with a gutologist. And I can say, do I need to remove dairy from my diet to help with my eczema. And it goes boop boop. And it says, you are now connected to Kaylee, who is one of our bank qualified gutologists. And she is typing back to me. And she's saying, hello. 
and we are now having a conversation. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. I'm so excited for this. And that's free. It's absolutely free of charge. I think we're the first platform to be doing this. Usually it costs you about 100 quid an hour to chat to somebody like this. Um, and of course, you know, you can book into the clinic and, you know, go on a proper treatment. But how exciting if you've just got quick questions or you want links to articles or, you know, yeah, it's so cool. And what an exciting start to um, 2021. Let's hope this is a more positive year and uh, we'll see you on next week's episode. Bye bye.